What a joy. Praise the Lord. Could we fall on our knees before our God? Truly our Lord, if seraphim, angels, and saints gathered around your throne, if they fall down and worship you in that transported state, in what way should we come? Father, I pray that you would work this morning in my heart that I could say the things that you want me to say. And I pray, Father, that according to your will, as uh, you would lead us, Lord, that there could be an edification of the body here at Zion Christian Fellowship. I pray, Father, that you would bless the uh, going out and the coming in of this congregation. I pray, Father, that you would bless with a clear, beautiful unity here. I pray that you would give them the ability to talk about the things that they need to talk about to be able to draw their hearts together. I pray, Lord, for an openness and a transparency, a place where it would be safe to say what's on our hearts, to express what's in our concerns, wherever it is. Lord, I pray that we could not have a veneer over our hearts and lives to not be able to say uh, what's down underneath, but to rather cover it. Lord, would you forbid that that would happen? I pray, Lord, that you would cause the brotherhood here to flourish and to grow and to be used in the kingdom of God much for your glory, Lord. Would you do it? We look to you and uh, also the things that you've laid on the brothers' hearts. What a joy to be here, to worship, to focus on the Lord Jesus, who is that all in all. And Lord, as we look at the things of the Christian life, help us to keep those things ever before us, to keep the summit ever before us. And we pray that you would strengthen us with divine grace. Lord, give clarity. Help me to communicate uh, with less words. And yet, Lord, would you... Um, impress everything that needs to be said in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it seems like a very short weekend. Um, I guess it has sort of been another way. It seems like uh, a long time. And um, I uh, ask you to forgive me for my uh, failures in uh, transmitting and seeking to um, speak forth the things that the Lord has um, um, been laying on my heart, and I especially felt yesterday evening that I was um, not proper in the expression of some of the breathy responses, you know. So, uh, um, anyway, just wanted to clear my heart there. Um, there, I do have a message entitled, My Sheep Hear My Voice. And uh, yet there's something that I need to share before that, that I'm not sure that I can leave without turning to Psalm 133. Um, So um, let's go to Psalm 133, a tremendous inspiration here. In Psalm 133, three verses... Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing 
even life forevermore. And this psalm here could um, uh, um, would justly deserve a whole lot of attention and a good bit of expression and expounding. But I just would like to leave a few things with us here. In verse 2, it talks about an anointing. Now, this wasn't just an ordinary anointing. This was the first high priest that was ever anointed. And this anointing oil started at the top of this man's head and ran down on his beard. And I don't think it means that Aaron's beard went to the hem of his garment. I think the anointing oil went to the hem of his garment. But you have an anointing here that begins at the top and flows down, down, down. There is a place of anointing, and it's the place where there's unity in the brotherhood. If this brotherhood is going to have an anointing of God in usefulness and to the glory of God, you have to have unity. Now, sometimes when you're trying to accomplish a project, you find that there are some things in the way. I suspect there was a whole lot of dirt and rock and who knows what all was in the way of putting in the basement here in this building. And it took some energy, some money. I don't know who did it, but there were some things that needed to be moved. And sometimes in a brotherhood, there are things that need to be carried out of the way for there to be brotherhood and and unity. And oftentimes it's more than just one or two persons can carry. They're too heavy for one or two persons to carry out of the way. It takes a united effort. How much value do you put on the brothers? How much value do you put on being together and working together? Someone asked me, we were working through some things at home, and this person asked me, said, what would you do if there were a 40-60 vote on musical instruments in the congregation? I just looked at him. I didn't ask him, which way do you mean? 40, 40 against or 44? Or, you know, I just looked at him and I said, before I would let a musical instrument separate me from brethren, I would carry it in the yard and chop it to pieces with an axe. My brethren are a whole lot more valuable and important and beloved in the sight of God and in my heart than a musical instrument and a right to play a musical instrument. I believe that with all my heart. And it would pain me to use the axe. But sometimes, if we're going to come together, we have to give up some of our individual preferences and what we like and what we don't like. Um, The brother told about leaving things in the parking lot because they weren't conducive to the journey. And sometimes, there's those things that church life faces. And I would just appeal to you all as a brotherhood, to simply to be honest enough to allow one another to look into your hearts and say, these are the things that are in my heart that hinder me from really being able to be free and interact and flow in this brotherhood. Does that make sense? It also has to be a safe place to actually say how I feel, what's in here, what God is showing me in the word without a fight. And those are things that we have to be able to carry off together 
One or two persons can't carry them off. Now, want to notice one other thing. In chapter 3, uh, in verse 3 here, it says, As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. I didn't study it as much as I should have, or as I want to yet. But the mountains of Hermon were very high. And as I read just a little about it, there is a, uh, a snow cap. And as the weather begins to warm, that snow melts and runs down off of that mountain and waters the region around it. A brotherhood with unity. That's what the picture of it's like. And it talks about that dew. In that area also, there are heavy nightly dews from what I... Um, and it's been a little bit since I read it. But there are heavy dews that come and water that, those mountainsides. Whereas everything is very arid and dry. And nothing grows. Gives me the goosebumps. It's in the place where brethren dwell together in unity. Talking about anointing. Do we need an anointing in these last days? Do we need the Spirit of God to work among our lives and the lives of our children and those that are yet to be born? We do. Here's where an anointing comes. And here's where moisture is. Here's where God brings water for the thirsty. And I'm thankful. As I sat here, I kept wrangling with, should I totally change the message and just go here? I couldn't pass on without sharing it. And I didn't really have peace to totally change the message this morning. So uh, let's go to John chapter 10. The Gospel of John chapter 10, very, very beautiful, and we have very many times emphasized the need to hear the shepherd's voice, and that great need that we have as a people for God to visit his people and to convince men of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and the great need we have of the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and lives where no man can see where there are motives down deep in there. We might see some byproduct of it. We might see some things growing up out of motives. But no man can see to the depths of the heart. But the Spirit of the Lord is the... Uh, let's see. The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, I think it says in Proverbs. Searching all the inmost parts of the belly. And we need that. And we need that great shepherd. And we need him to speak to us. In John chapter 10... Beginning in verse 1 and reading to verse 18. And then again from verse 25 to verse 29. Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd. And he is the good shepherd. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, And he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. Who is the porter here? There's some mysteriousness in this passage here. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. 
And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Um, I would just say here that what he was referring to, he was not referring to the law and the prophets. He was not referring to Moses. He was not referring to Zechariah or Jeremiah or any of these as being uh, thieves and robbers. But whoever ever came before and said, I'm the anointed one, the Messiah, they were thieves and robbers. They weren't authentic. <clears throat> and the sheep did not hear them. There was something of the true followers of Christ who by faith were looking forward to, to Christ who didn't believe them. He, they didn't follow these imposters. Um, there were some that uh, Gamaliel, I thought, I think it was Gamaliel that referred to those who um, uh, was supposed to be somebody and they led out what is 400 men out into the wilderness who were murderers and you know it wasn't working out right and uh, Gamaliel said that you know if this work is of God you can't overthrow it but if it's not of God it'll come to an end itself there's some things you're better off not to intermeddle with too much and um, so that was what they were saying there were others that came and said I am the answer but Jesus said I and the door, verse 9, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. That sounds like a secure place. It sounds like a fruitful place where there's plenty to eat. And it sounds like a uh, easy mingling. Verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. And sometimes shepherds now and here today need to be vulnerable. They need to allow themselves to be endangered. In order to withstand the wolf. Uh, someone said once that you can always tell the difference between a sheep and a wolf. So when you hit a sheep, it goes bad. So when you hit a wolf, it goes. It shows his teeth to you. So um, yeah, for that, what that's worth here. But, but the, the hireling fleeth in verse 13 because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep. You see the personality there, the personness. And I'm known of mine. And it's so very, very important that we know the shepherd and that he does speak to us today. And we want to describe that a little further here in a little while and see whether it's authentic with you. Is this happening with you? As the Father knoweth me, in verse 15, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. I think he's speaking of the Gentiles. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. 
Verse 25, and Jesus answered them, I told you, the um, question came in verse 24, let's read it. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, how long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Mark that verse. Notice that. Jesus says, I have another evidence. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice. Note this verse also. And I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Here you have another evidence. It's all in this passage here. The uh, unified speaking and expression here. Uh, Jesus also goes down in the latter part of this uh, chapter here um, and talks about that evidence of the fruit and the evidence of God bearing witness of him. And so this morning I'd like to speak on the subject of my sheep hear my voice. And probably all of us have admired those who have uh, received from the Lord Jesus such a faith and such a conviction that they were able to endure prison and hardship and beatings and torturing and maintain a faithfulness and go to the stake because God was within them and speaking to them and God was alive in them. But that's not the only source of life they had. They had some of the word of God also as a voice speaking and they believed what they read and they believed what they heard and this bore witness to them and they endured faithfully and they heard the shepherd's voice. Are you one of Jesus' sheep here? today do you hear his voice do you follow him out again in verse 4 we read here they follow him look at verse 9 it says i am the door by me if any man enter in he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture are you one of those that nobody would need to come up to you and say you know really if you're a christian This is the things that will go on in your life. You say, well, I know that very well. That's going on in my life right now. There's conviction. There's assurance that comes from the word of God. There's at times an admonition that goes on inside of me. Yes, I. you know, that's no problem to me. That's no mystery to me. I understand what that is. And he says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I think of another verse that talks about a belly, a river of water flowing out from a person's bosom. And every Christian ought to so be in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ that not only do they have water for themselves, but they have for somebody else that's thirsty. Not only do they have answers for their own life and a clarity and a guidance for their own life, but they have a word for him that needeth it. So, well, I don't know how this is all supposed to work, but seems like if these two couple, this couple that's having trouble in their marriage, if they just get together on their knees before God and pour out their hearts before God together, God would come something, do something there in the midst of that. And that, that confidence where there's this flow of life 
directly from the shepherd. And years gone by, when I've read this passage and have been inspired by this passage, I read it there and I, I start getting ready to preach it. And then something happens. Somehow, it seems that those that, that mainly go by this witness that they say I have down in here, and God tells me this and God tells me that, that mainly go by that witness doesn't come out too well. And so I've backed off and I said, hmm, hmm, I don't think I'm quite ready to preach from that passage. But recently, I felt like the Lord opened a few things up to me there, and um, I'm going to try to share those. You pray for me. It says, He shall go in and out and find pasture. But how do I hear His voice? Some just pray to Jesus and ask Him and then listen for an inner voice and then do just that. I um, remember hearing a brother say he was visiting this couple and uh, this couple was really into this spiritual, spiritualism, if you will. Uh, and I, I'm not uh, against praying and finding guidance and direction from the Lord's Spirit uh, or going by a peace that the Lord gives. But, well, the husband said, well, we already had plans. And um, I asked Jesus what we should do. And Jesus said, just keep your plans. And um, it was a little bit looked a little selfish or inconsiderate, um, the decision was. He may have been, you know, I'm not just totally ruling it out. But in so many cases where people are going on their own and, you know, what Jesus told me myself looks very selfish and very closely connected to what the flesh actually would want. And so there's something more needed. After all, Jesus said that his sheep would hear his voice. Well, Jesus has spoken. It's all in the Word of God, especially in the New Testament. Jesus has spoken already. Can we go and find almost all issues of life are addressed in the Word of God? Can we go and find, well, what did Jesus say here? What did He say in this passage? Well, you know, I just feel like, you know, I should do this. What, what's written? Jesus has spoken, it's all in the word of God and his sheep get a hold of that or that gets a hold of them and they follow. Jesus has spoken and it gets a hold of them or they get a hold of that. I'm not sure how it all works, but maybe some of both. And they follow him and they have a compelling inner sense that I must follow the Lord Jesus. And I'm saying here this morning, we must have an inner work, the Holy Spirit, the peace of God, a clear, obedient conscience. We need those things. And that's my first point this morning. But Jesus, as our shepherd, never intended for this to be the only speaking into our hearts and lives. How then does Jesus speak? I have four points here. Jesus speaks by his spirit, conscience, and peace. And we could spend all morning on that first one and not cover it. But for the sake of the emphasis, number two is Jesus speaks by the voice of Scripture. And number three, by the voice of the church. And number four, by the voice of fruit. And I think if we'll take all four of these together and not throw some of them out, but take them as a unified guiding light,
I have a burden this morning that we would bring all four of these together in one body because I hear of things that go on where people go to these events that have a tremendous mixture of that which seems to be good and sound, a tremendous emphasis to bring your sins to Jesus, bring your sins and put them under the blood, but to have soft rock and roll playing on stage at quite a volume. I guess, I don't know, is that loud rock? Uh, soft, soft rock, loud? <clears throat> um, and tremendous emotional pressure, and people just uh, run with their emotions. They run with whatever seems to be the witness going on there. And it's a tremendous sorting through of what's good. You know, well, I sure wouldn't bring my music into my home. But, you know, in this setting, it seems God's working. And, oh, people are saying they're getting clear that never were clear before. And I get goosebumps. Hmm, what is going on here? And we need some further speaking into this situation. Many will take one or two of these, but leave the others out, and it doesn't come out right. We had a visitor at home the Sunday I preached this message. And um, I had to leave immediately after the uh, meeting, after the service, to make it to uh, Ishmael's well um, board meeting, um, because the people in other time zones, it's later in the evening already, and so we tried to facilitate a phone uh, meeting. And so I needed to leave right immediately afterwards. The following Sunday, he... uh, approached me in the food line we're having fellowship fellowship meal and he says well i want to talk with you about that message what you preached last sunday he said uh if that would have been my first time visiting this church i would have never come back and i thought well that's interesting and so we've had our conversations and um and after we had some dialogue he says well he says we're close we're close we need to talk some more so hopefully we'll talk some more but the If we just leave, take one or two and leave the others out, it doesn't come out right. The biggest problem is if only one voice is kept, it's what I feel, see, or think in here that I stick with. And it's dangerous. So the first voice is the voice of spirit, conscience, and peace. And I'm going to refer to all of those I say this morning that you need a clear, sensitive conscience. A conscience that speaks to you of right and wrong. Not only of wrong, but also of right. A conscience that prompts us when we have done wrong. A conscience, like Paul said, that I uh, do diligence to keep my conscience always void of offense. And uh, the high priest said, hit him on the mouth. And this fellow smacked him. And he didn't know it was a high priest. And he said, God's going to smite you, you whited wall. He says, are you commanding me to be smitten contrary to the law? And, uh, you know, and uh, they says, you're reviling God's high priest. Oh, he says, I didn't know it was a high priest. And he quoted a scripture in his own condemnation. It says, the scripture says, you shall not speak evil of the rule of your people. And Paul quoted that against himself. He was keeping a clear conscience. There was an uprightness inside of him that had been made upright by the word of God and the study of the word of God and the cleansing away of all transgression. And there was a conscience in there that bore witness. We need that conscience. But it's also quickened by the word of God. Here's another evidence. But the spirit of God also prompts us there, we might have had the right response and the wrong motive. We need this voice. Uh, Let's go to John chapter 16.
We want to just get take one passage here. There are many. Um, this is an enormous uh, subject in the scriptures as the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the guidance, that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a tremendous passage here. But um, we'd like to keep flowing. Let's go to chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus is talking about going away. Verse 6, he said, because I've said this, these things, excuse me, unto you sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. In verse 8, we have a clear statement of what the Holy Spirit would do inside of a person. He's going to reprove them of sin. That word reprove is number 1651, to confute, admonish, convict, convince, tell a fault, rebuke, reprove. Do you recognize that work of the Holy Spirit in your life? where something of a conviction goes on and it wasn't that some person caught you doing something and you were afraid that somebody else is going to find out, but rather there was something going on inside that said that was wrong. You know it was wrong. Nobody saw that you did that, but I'm as as convicted as I would be if I had my hand in a cookie jar and mom came around the corner. I'm taken with it. I am guilty. The sentence is coming. I, I cannot get away from it. Do you identify with that work of the Holy Spirit? Fact is, we seem to trust our own thinking. But the Holy Spirit comes and says, here your thinking and actions are wrong. He tells us a fault. You have sinned. He rebukes us. How many times I've experienced this in my life. He comes many times. He many times does this while the word is being preached. You ever notice that? While the word is being preached, there's something that, whoo, that situation that I hadn't been thinking about suddenly comes to light. And, oh, Yes, and the heart is being searched. Is this the voice you've been hearing? Be encouraged. The second thing the Holy Spirit, Jesus' voice does, is to reprove of what we naturally thought was right. He comes and tells us, you were thinking wrong here. Here's actually the truth concerning this matter. And he convinces us of the truth of where things are really at. He goes about to establish righteousness in our hearts so that we are convinced of his truth and his ways, so that we have an inner compelling to follow. An example of that would be 
Um, you know, when I was growing up, we used many bywords. And we used a lot of um, uh, slangs, if you will, and, and various things. But um, over at, at home, we've had sometimes a Friday morning prayer meeting. And uh, some young brother will open the passage, like in Ephesians there, where he, uh, it talks about no uh, foolish talking or jesting and these things. And he, he comes out and he just shows us the scriptures and goes through the scriptures. And there's a convicting going on inside of this fellow. You know, for a long time, there wasn't really much convicting going on. But he's showing me, oh, this is really what's right. You shouldn't be using those words. These upright sound speech that cannot be condemned. And there's this reproving. It says here, you reprove the sin of uh, the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And the other thing here that happens is that uh, he comes and convinces us that this is not just an issue that we have to deal with here. These are eternal issues that you will give an account for in the day of judgment. And Jesus says that even too. By your words, you're going to be justified and by your words, you're going to be condemned. And that there is a day of judgment coming. <clears throat> this voice of the Holy Spirit do you identify with that? Do you have a genuine Holy Spirit at work in your life? There are many spirits that are gone out. There are many false prophets in the world. And there are false whispering spirits that bring an inappropriate assurance and settledness and a feeling like you're all right. And they don't bring the conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction for things that have been done amiss. Things that we ought to have done and we didn't. <clears throat> there was a, a young person that... Uh, told uh, once of having been in a store and there uh, somebody was using very vulgar language and was using the name of the Lord in vain. And uh, she just felt very badly about having been in that presence and not bringing something up and not mentioning something that, uh, you know, that's a big God you're talking about there. And she kept her mouth shut and went out of the place and was plagued by the Holy Spirit that you didn't, you didn't speak up in this situation. And um, due to that work that was going on there in her heart, none of us knew it. It was underneath the surface. But this work that was going on then uh, at a place getting a tire fixed. And she told about it sometime later. And these men were using the name of the Lord in vain and were using vulgar language. And um, yes, referring to God. And she just quietly says, the great big God you're talking about there. And those men were astounded. That was the Holy Spirit doing something that's not easy to be do done. The Holy Spirit convincing men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. These issues will again appear on judgment day. And that's what the Holy Spirit is here to convince us of. This same voice will bring a deep peace when conditions of repentance are met, this same voice that comes and convinces men of sin, of righteousness and judgment, when repentance and the conditions of repentance are met, then there's a deep peace that the Spirit of God brings to the Christian's heart. Peace is not just an absence of conviction of wrong, but a deep sense of well-being. Do you have the peace of God that passeth all understanding, that keeps the heart and the soul? We're just referring to it here this morning. The conscience becomes clear through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
The sheep's desire for and growth in the truth will take a depth and meaning. In verse 13 here, he says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The sheep's desire for and growth in the truth will take on depth and meaning. This is that voice of Jesus by the spirit. Do you as Paul keep a clear conscience void of offense? Is that voice of God at work in your life? If it's not, you should be alarmed. Are you quenching that voice? Are you quenching that conscience? The second point is the voice of Scripture. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 here, I'm uh, going again to verse 16. In 2 Peter, Peter basically refers to what Brother Elvin referred to, where they saw Jesus up on the holy mountain, up there, the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy than that ecstatic illumination. In verse 16, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we're eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And Brother Elvin already described that face beginning to shine like the sun. Glowing. How would you feel in the presence of such a face? They were not terrified though. That was the amazing thing. They saw Jesus' glory. But when this shadow came. And there were these other uh, two men that showed up there and they were discussing and, uh, and uh, Peter and James and John, they got real sleepy and they started thinking of tents and building a, a tent and just staying there on a the mountain. But when that shadow came over and the voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Moses and Elijah were gone. I believe it was Moses and Elijah. They were gone and only the son of God was there. And I think that means that the Son of God is the final word. He is the final word here. But if you would have been there, would you have believed in Jesus? Whew. We can't talk about this. Jesus told us not to talk about this. But, you know, somehow, oh, what do you think, James? Oh, I couldn't believe my eyes. I knew he was glorious and mighty, but, oh, that sight there. We'd be convinced Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, I would acknowledge that I've had my cage rattled a little, if you will. I had an aunt who passed away. I believe she was with the Lord. I was just weighing what all to mention here. Her husband was a bit deviant. 
more than a bit. But after she passed away, or should I say before she passed away, while during her lifetime, they didn't have children, and she spent a lot of time baking breads and goodies and sweet rolls and all kinds of things, and her customers came right there to her house and bought these things. And uh, many a morning she was up early baking fresh bread in a clatter of bread pans. Well, after she died, some time later, one of his brothers and his brother's wife were there visiting in the morning. Early in the morning, they smelled a f- smell of fresh bread and heard bread, plans, bread pans clatter in the kitchen. I said, hmm, was that possibly her? How, how did, and what all goes on in the realm of the dead? Hmm, this phenomenon. I loved my Aunt Eva. Hmm. And wheels began turning. Oh, I heard about another situation where, you know, it uh, seemed like somebody saw somebody that had passed away and then they were gone. Hmm, phenomenon. The devil plays on phenomenon. I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't allow us to see some things. There may be even dreams and visions. I don't know what all. My appeal is let us go back to what the word of God says about these things. When we begin to build on phenomenon, the devil is an angel of light that wants to play on phenomenon and other evidence, extra biblical evidence that showed us so much so I'll mention it now, maybe I won't later. But one man who had been a single man as a pastor for quite some years, and then somehow this divorced woman came into his congregation, and he says, God supernaturally led us together. We see clearly that God wanted us together, um, despite what the scripture said. Supernatural moving. And... Peter here says that you have a more sure word of prophecy. What is written here? Don't go by just the inner witness that you have and the peace that you may have about something that God does not give you peace from from this word. I just am so blessed with the testimony of David Allspaw's father, who was an older man. And and, uh, this just comes to mind now. I hope it, uh, it fits and doesn't take too much time. Oh, my. I'm out of time already. But um, David Allspaw's father, there's this couple came to church and they perceived um, that it was a second marriage situation, a divorce, you know, in between. And uh, David's father was living with the family at the time and this couple came there to hospitality and um, they're sitting in the living room and David's father takes his Bible and hands it to the visitor and says, turn to such and such a passage and read me verses so and so. And the man turned there to his passage. It had to do with divorce and remarriage. He says, now turn over to this other passage and read me that passage. And um, <clears throat> said the lady was in the kitchen and she'd come to the doorway and sort of listen in a little and she'd go back to helping him wash dishes. And then after a bit, she came back in there and sat down next to her fellow. And um, says, dad hit reset button. And he handed her the Bible and started over and had her read these passages. 
And she only read, I think, two or three of them. And she said, oh, he hadn't sat there and preached to her and explained these verses. He simply had her read them with her own mouth and say what those verses said. Oh, she said, I knew it wasn't right. Oh, this was not right. God is not pleased with this. I knew it was a sin, but he and the preacher convinced me that it was all right. And she, she just in upheaval, she said, I'm not going home with you. I'm done with this. And she was convinced by the written word of God that this voice of Jesus was speaking to her that this is not right in God's sight. Let us turn to this voice of Jesus. Peter says here in verse 17 and 18, we saw him in the holy mount. His face shone like the sun. His clothes got white as light. Two heavenly beings appeared. And I already mentioned that. But Peter says you have something that is more sure than some revelation of seeing and hearing things. And I think we have evidence in the scripture that as the time gets closer to the end, there's going to be an increase of miracles and phenomena. And I haste to say that was the other issue that the visitor had with me is he understood me to say that I'm totally against miracles. I'm not against miracles, not against healing. I'm not against anointing with oil and God radically raising up uh, men and women, people. Uh, I'm not against miracles, but I'm against the phenomenon that leads to sinfulness and leads to strain. What time did I start here this morning? <laughs> okay, let's, let's go. I, 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 uh, the gift of gab is not a spiritual gift, and I tend to talk too long. Um, we have a more sure word of prophecy, the word of God. There's a sure prophetic word. It is written. Are you hearing that voice? What the word of God says, it says boldly and clearly to all. Notice in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. I was talking with a man one day and he was trying to give me uh, persuaded to his view of prophecy. And as he was um, trying to get me persuaded, I asked him this question. I said, uh, he told me how many years he had been to uh, Bible college and, and all this and that and the other. And I said, uh, do you agree with other people that teach prophecy? Oh, no. He said, I don't agree at all. He says, I, you know, and he told me, started telling me some of the differences. Well, this is why I asked that question. You know, in their basic nutshell, in their basic emphasis, does this um, line up with what other people are teaching in godliness? Um, it's not of any private interpretation. And it says that the a word of God didn't come... Um, Prophecy in old time came by the will of, sorry, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Do you know what that moved by the Holy Ghost means? means to be carried along. It's not a slight nudging. Hey, you, you ought to say this. When the word of God was given, the sense and the tense is that they were carried along. God said literally, exactly, word for word, what he wanted said. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. So people say, God told me this and God told me that. Where is it written? Can you prove that it was authentic by the emphasis that the scripture gives? Where is it written? I'd like to turn to Matthew 24 here, just briefly. And emphasize this a little. Matthew 24. In verse 24 and 25 it says. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. And shall show great signs and wonders. Insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. 
Behold, I have told you before. What is going to be the deceptive conduit? What's going to be conductive to the deception? Great signs and wonders. He said, Behold, I've told you before. That's his way of saying, Take note of what I'm telling you. Um, Look also over here at uh, verse number 10. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. In other words, they have such a strong evident power and there is such a miracle working and stuff going on that you're tempted to bypass things that the Bible says are wrong that will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Repeatedly, Jesus or the, uh, Paul tells us in the epistles, especially in Ephesians 5, I believe it is, is uh, Ephesians 4, he says, don't believe vain words that tell you These sins are not going into heaven. These are going to be kept without. And with the rise of false prophets is the rise of iniquity abounding. Their verification, in many cases, is spectacular and miraculous. Do you find the voice of Scripture bringing Jesus' word to you again? Do you treasure them? Are they negotiable? You know, when Jesus was tempted in Matthew 4, not only did he know who was tempting him, he also knew what was wrong with the reasoning. And the devil actually brought the word of God and says, just jump off of this thing because it's written, the angels are going to, you know, there's going to be a tremendous scene here as the angels rush here and just drop you. You won't even smite your foot on the ground. And Jesus said, it's also written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And so it wasn't just, you know, one voice of the scriptures coming. <clears throat> Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17. I'd like to use this scripture to introduce the next point. Matthew chapter 18. This is the context. If your brother trespass against you, go and tell him your fault between you and, and uh, him alone. If you will not hear thee, take with thee one or two more. I just want to draw some thought here from verse 17 and 18. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Neglect to hear the church. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. First John, chapter 4. First John, in the back of the Bible, chapter 4. I'd really like you to see this verse. We're talking about false prophets being deceived and not believing every spirit. And we'd just like to drop down to verse 6 for the sake of time here. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The voice of the church. In this passage here in 1 John 4 and verse 6, it makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit speaks through the true church. Now, I don't know in what all ways... Some of these scriptures have been abused and used wrongly and to bind and loose things that maybe um, 
I don't know. Shouldn't have been bound or loosed. But I just appeal here that we don't chuck it out. That we don't take our penknife and cut this scripture out. There is another emphasis that the scripture very clearly gives of those that have the oversight over you being given the responsibility of guiding. It even uses the word rule. Those that rule well should be counted worthy of double honor. In other words, there should be, I think, a double willingness to hear from them. It's God's order. Uh, We can't get away from it. And the voice of the church here, The Holy Spirit speaks through the true church. Have you invited the church to speak to you? Are you surrendered to the church? I'm sure this is not a perfect church. And we're not a perfect church at home. But I trust that if you didn't have some measure of confidence that this is a true church, you wouldn't be here. Open your heart. It is one of the ways that Jesus speaks to us is through the church. It's so much so that he says, If he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Here are some issues that needed to be settled. There was some struggling brotherhood. There was an offense that was caused. There was a problem. I don't know that you Matthew 18, everything. But I'm trying to make the point simply that there is a speaking of a brotherhood into our lives that every one of us needs. It's not a perfect church, yet a true church. Can you hear the church? You know, I had some struggles with some brothers in another place, which I ended up moving away from there. And we didn't agree with some things. But you know what? Some of those brethren did me a tremendous lot of good. They could see some things in my life that I was oblivious to. And one day, one of them says, well, he says, I just want to say this to you. And he gave me a word of admonition. And I said, I receive it. I I need it. It had to do with a very practical thing. It had to do with what time I left work on on Wednesday evening. I'm going to make it to Bible study. And he said, when you come through the door, I can see that you're still going. He says, your wife needs you to relax a little and be in a more of a relaxed frame of mind as you leave home and come to church. Why well, receive that? Yeah, I could have said, well, you got this other glaring need over here. What? What are you doing talking to me about that? That's none of your business. Would I have profited from his speaking? No. And there are other far, more far-reaching issues and deeper issues that we face as churches. And we need to allow the church who looks at us this way How are you doing? Where are we at? If you had the freedom to get no rise out of me and to say what's on your heart that you'd like to say to me, what would you say to me? Is it safe to say those things here? Christians tend to only want to just get along. They don't want to blend. 
And if there's going to be blending, there's something inside of that me that has to open up and be a bit vulnerable in order for that where you feel vulnerable to be able to mesh together. Is there something the church would like to see changed in our lives? I've been at prayer meetings where the pastor has opened one of the elders, opened up himself to the brotherhood and say, you know, I know that I can't see myself. If there is anything in my life that you have on your heart that you'd like to talk to me, I invite you to come and talk to me. All the defenses towards this brother just... And to my understanding, there were some that went. Are there needs there that the church longs to help heal? Jesus says, if someone neglect to hear the church, let him be as a heathen man and a publican. In other words, this matter of operating together as a church and as a brotherhood in a beautiful, godly harmony is a requirement in the kingdom of God. Now, chances are, if I came here, I want to be part of your brotherhood, there may be some things that I might need to change. But how much do I value that walking together in a unified way? And if there's some things that the brotherhood feels good should be outside of the brotherhood for me to willfully bring them into the brotherhood and violate this brotherhood's conscience, it's a sin. See, maybe you can take that from me. Um, I mean it well. I'm sharing with you things that I've wrestled with and wrestled through for years, coming from a very difficult church situation. Can you hear the voice of the shepherd speaking through the church? The church is the apple of his eye. It's the church he died for. Well, we say we, he died for sinners, but he died for sinners that he might have a church, a spotless church that is holy, undefiled, that is coming and returning to receive for himself one glorious day soon. Number four, the voice of fruit. In Matthew chapter 7, I just many times in my heart and my mind have turned to this passage when there's some, something going on and you can't tell whether is this thing for real? Is it authentic? Is it a farce? Is it a mixture? What is this thing? And I turn to this passage and ponder it. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13, we'll read 13, 14, but really we want to start verse 15. But 13, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go therein, in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Looks like a sheep. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. And this is one of Satan's 
uh, topmost things as counterfeits. And these are false prophets, but they look so much like a sheep unless you look at the fruit. Ye shall know them by their fruits. In verse 16, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Every young person should take these verses and tuck them away in their heart and hold on to them closely as identifying marks. How do I find my way in all that is out there? What is the fruit? Does it lead to holiness? Judge them by their fruits. Examine the fruits. If there's a mixture of good and bad, he says that a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. I grant that there's a need for growth in every one of our lives. And even as Apollos, you know, he came there to Corinth and Aquila and Priscilla heard him preach. He says, hmm, it doesn't seem that he's fully grown in his understanding. And they took him to him and uh, expounded the word of God more perfectly. And he didn't say, well, you're not even a preacher. He says, really? I don't know how his response was, but he grew and grew in might and in ability to convince. And I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about a mixture of good and bad fruit. What looks like good fruit and yet obviously things that lead to things that the Bible has forbidden and says shall not be. There, I trust, will still be a people at the end of time that are going to walk in the light and be a pure people because Luke, is it 15 or is it 18, talks about that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith in the earth? And so there's, uh, there's this indication there's going to be a true people. Are you going to be some of them? Need to pay attention to fruit. He's speaking of false prophets, and he says that judge the fruits, examine the fruits. And I have six, seven here that I want to refer to briefly here. Number one is the position on divorce and remarriage sound. Jesus still says in his written word that cannot change, heaven and earth can pass away, but his word will not pass away. He that marries her that is divorced commits adultery. And the scripture clearly says that adulterers, present tense, will not go into heaven. What is the position on divorce and remarriage? This um, um, encounter thing that I've heard uh, of just briefly. I know a little bit about it. I'm, uh, my understanding is that if people go there that are struggling in a marriage, they suggest to them whether actually their current marriage is God's best for them or whether maybe God had something else in mind. Bad fruit. Don't eat it. Number two, is the apparel modest? You know, I understand when people have not had teaching and they come from a society where modesty has never occurred to them. But what's the response going to be when the teaching of the word of God comes in? 
Is jewelry going to go off? Is there going to be a proper veiling? Is there going to be a proper concealing of the body? <clears throat> you know, are men still going to be walking around with the shirt hanging half open? That's not modest. That's not proper. God spoke against it. You say, where's in chapter? Well, in principle. Is the apparel modest? Number three, is the headship teaching in order? Number four, is the music or singing reverent and holy? It's one of the fruits. Does it appear that they are after money? <clears throat> Peter speaks about making merchandise of you out of covetousness and this seed money thing. Maybe you've heard of it. Send your $100 in, you know. You, got, you need some seed money, and God's going to bless your, um, your, your life, your ministry, just abundantly, you know. And if you send your seed money in, if you're not planting, no, no wonder you're not harvesting. And they get people to send them their money. And, yeah, well, you know the rest. Does their concept of the cross bring death to the works of the flesh? Here's another key. Jesus accomplished a tremendous victory on the cross for us in putting to death the sins um, and the offenses that were between us and God. But he also accomplished a tremendous victory in that now you and I have the possibility of dying to the works of the flesh and being made free that we no longer need to serve the works of the flesh. Does their concept of the cross include a death to the works of the flesh? What we are referring to in 1 John chapter 4, there refers to this very thing that those that don't profess that Jesus came in the flesh, those spirits, those prophets that say, no, nah, he didn't, he was just sort of looked that way, they're not true. If Jesus, who had the Spirit of God living in him, could live above sin and the flesh, you, with the Spirit of God living inside of you, can also. But if it was a phenomenon and the body's just evil, there's some of these teachings out there. You know, you just, with the body, you serve these evils, but with your spirit, you know, inside and how you really feel, that's how you serve God. Does their concept of the cross bring death to the works of the flesh? Number seven, do they teach you can live in sin and go to heaven at last? Uh, we need to turn to Second Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> I think the book of Second Peter was written for end times, for all times, but especially maybe for end times. I want to read uh, verse starting in verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily, privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall fall their pernicious ways. Somebody here can tell me what pernicious means. Evil. Evil. Good. Anybody else? Pernicious. Pernicious ways. I looked it up in the Strongs. It means exclusion from salvation, destructive and waste. Many shall fo follow their pernicious ways, their ways that are excluding people from salvation, the destructive and waste. Many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And this thing flips back around. You're just a bunch of legalists. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. 
For if God spared not the angels that sinned. Where were the angels that sinned? Already in heaven. And God threw them out. Do you expect to make it in there with sin? God already in, in, in this pattern. But cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. He's simply talking about fruit. Look at the pattern of how God dealt with it back here. Look at the pattern. Look at the pattern. Is he going to deal any differently with this? It's deceptive. There's a deception out there that you can live in sin. And go to heaven at last. That's false. The voice of fruit. Will you hear Jesus in this? Jesus is still speaking through what he has spoken. Many people feel they have a peace with God. Because they don't feel too badly about themselves. But the four voices Jesus speaks to us through. Are you hearing them? Are you uh, ignoring one of them? Or some of them? Throwing some of them out? Do you hear the voice of scripture? Are you committed to turning again? Is it written? What is actually written concerning this subject? What did God seem to want to communicate when he wrote this? We need to be students of the word of God. We should get past our lightweight consideration of the scriptures. You know, those passages that feel, feel more comforting and encouraging, they're not deep, dark sayings. Ah, you know, I can't wrap my mind around. I don't think I'll read that again. Those may just be some of the passages that we need. And God wants us to turn again and seek to understand the scriptures. Is it written or it is written? Do you hear the voice of fruit either in your own life or the teachers who draw you? Do you hear the voice of the church? Is there something she is seeking to say to you? It's Christ's voice. It's one of his voices unless it's a false church and then you better beat it. Is the Spirit of God working in your heart and conscience as we describe today? Are there thoughts that arise in your heart that either say, well, that was a right thought and a good thought, but other thoughts that want to come in say, no, as a wicked thought, Lord, help me. And there's this thing, judging thoughts and inner motives and things that are going on in the mind and the heart. That's the work of God's Spirit, of the conscience. And the peace of God is to rule in our hearts by the which we are called in one body and to be thankful. Are you convinced of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come? So this morning, are you one of his sheep? Do you hear his voice? I've sought this morning to bring together some concepts in a unified scriptural way. Sure, I missed some things. But do you see the evidence here? Are you willing to judge situations by their fruit? And you say, well, that's a bad word right there. The scripture says the judge, the spiritual man, judges all things. And I don't think that's um, necessarily saying he's going around and said, well, you're condemned and you're all right. And then, no, no. But there is an evaluation that goes on inside the heart that says this is authentic and this is not and have a biblical reason and a fruit reason and a holiness reason for the conclusion that's brought. God bless you. Thank you for being easy to preach to this week. I uh, pray the Lord knits all our hearts together in him and may we live to the glory of God.